Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. We've got some big, exciting news, haven't we? We've got some very, very exciting news. So why don't you tell everyone about it? Well, lovely listener, if you would like to hang out with us, that is a thing that you can most definitely do. If you go to creativerebels.co forward slash access right now and enter your details, we are going to be doing a basically like a Zoom hangout where uh, me and Adam will be on um, chatting with all of you, answering whatever questions that you may have. So bring yourselves, bring your questions. We were talking the other day and because COVID's happened, it's meant that we haven't got to do events this year, which just seems crazy because we were doing so many before lockdown happened and we couldn't then go meet everyone in person. So we're like, well, why don't we just take this take this to the people? These sessions will be split into two parts. We're going to do the first part where we'll be discussing a certain topic, like whatever that could be, probably something relatable that you guys are going to get loads of value from. And then the second part will be Q&A. So, so bring along any questions you might want to ask that you think other people could benefit from too. And it's going to be a complete open forum, just like we would be if we were doing a talk in public. So yeah, bring your questions. And don't forget to go to creativerebels.co forward slash access to get more information. Yes, so our very, very first Zoom Creative Rebels Hangout is happening on the 10th of November at 7pm. And we're really excited about this. We want to make it the best that it can be. So um, please do come along. Bring You can ask a question on any topic. Like it doesn't matter what the question is on. Um, the first one is going to be very kind of free flowing and we'll just see how it goes. But without your attendance, there is no event. So please do come along. You can head to creativerebels.co forward slash access and you'll get emailed all of the details when it goes live. Yep, that's the 10th of November. And I suggest going to sign up now so you don't forget. So tell me about this little uh, wander that you went on the other week. Yeah, so I did go on a fun little wander the other week. I had I had the day free and I was like, well, what, what should I do with myself today? The weather was okay. I had nothing else to do. So I was like, well, I'm going go to the, go to a gallery, something that I've not done since probably like January now because of lockdown and everything and kind of just trying to avoid public spaces as much as possible. Yeah, so I decided to go to the National Gallery in London, which I've not been to for absolutely years. And this was before we we got plunged into tier two, wasn't it? But like, but how was the experience? Like, how was it being out and about? Because I haven't gone to a public space like a gallery. It it was great, actually. So I booked like the earliest slot that they had. Um, so I think it was a 10 a.m. on Sunday. And it was like, it's really good, actually. They, it was like, there wasn't actually that many people in there. By the time I left, like you kind of get, it's very like organized in there. So there's like arrows on the floor and you have to go in certain directions and you can't go between the rooms that they don't want you to do with the arrows. Like there's this one bit when I was like, oh, I'm either going to have to walk all the way around here. It's going to take me like five or six minutes to get back to back to where I need to be. Or I could just cut through this one arrow that's pointing the other way and like tried it. And within about two seconds, a guard was just like, no, you've got to go around. Good, you bloody rebel. (laughs) Can't do that. These these arrows are there for processes. They're there for a reason. Follow the bloody arrows. I know. And so, yes, I went away around. Um, but it was really good. By the time I left, it was definitely getting busier. Um, but because, yeah, so I definitely recommend if anyone does want to go to one of those things, book a slot for like the first the start of a day so it's much quieter. Um, but yeah, it was great. And the reason I went was to basically try and get some inspiration and just try and get inspiration from something that wouldn't be my normal kind of source I suppose so which would probably normally be Instagram Pinterest or kind of sat on the computer and yeah so I thought I'll go around because I know that they've got lots of portraits there uh, I was basically thinking like can I get any, any inspiration for my photography that would be around kind of 
portraiture, colours, like just something. So obviously these pictures are done by absolute experts. Um, they're hung in a national gallery, so obviously they must, they must be pretty kind of like respected. So I basically kind of set myself the goal of walking around and just stopping for things that caught my attention. It wasn't one of those things where I'd go around picture by picture, just kind of looking at everything, looking for like little details. I would constantly try and think like what actually appeals to me, like what's jumping out, what's about it? Is it the colours? Is it like the way it's composed? And I just walked around and every time I saw something, I was like, oh, there's something about that that I like. I kind of stopped, looked at it for a bit, worked out what it was I actually liked about it and then took a picture. Look, I, I have to give you big props for doing that because I think you and me especially, we have to be careful that we do practice what we preach. And I think something like that is, is it's the sort of thing that we recommend people do all the time is like take inspiration from different places, get yourself inspired and like good on you for actually getting out there and, and doing it because like I can't remember the last time that I looked at something different to get me inspired. So yeah, so that's a good shout. Pre-lockdown, we'd always be out in different places at the weekends going to new things and just trying to get inspiration from all over the place. But I haven't done that in so long. I was just like, I just need this again. And yeah, so it was a really interesting experience. And going around, there was lots of things that caught my attention that I would have never seen otherwise. And I ended up with a loads of photos that I could then look through at the end and be like, what is it about these that I like? And there was certain like color palettes and stuff that I was like, oh, this is really appealing. It, it doesn't look like anything that you normally see in terms of like photography, like the blacks are always like never like black, black, obviously maybe because the painting's old and they've just kind of faded over time. But there's a certain charm to stuff. And even like the way that certain oil paintings have got like a luminance to them and the way that they glow. I was like, oh, I really like that. I wonder if I could kind of bring that to my photos and got home and then kind of looked through these photos and I was like, okay, now how can I apply this? And I think that's, that's the thing that I think is really important. Like if you do go out and search for inspiration, you've got to think of a way of how you can apply it to what you're actually going to do. Otherwise there's, it's just wasted. It's like listening to podcasts every single week to get inspiration, but never putting in any action. And that action is always so important. So what I did is I looked through these images and I was like, okay, what do I like about these? And started to notice like certain things with the color toning. And so then what I just did is I just like opened Lightroom and I was like, how can I like tweak what my color, my current color grade is to kind of reflect these images that I've just seen a bit more? Because it's obviously like something I really like about these how can I bring that into my work? What, what you've basically done there is what we talked about in last week's intro. We talked about doing it on Instagram where you use the save function to yes. save things that inspire you. And this is basically you doing that in real life. It's such an interesting way to do things. And since you said that about the save button, I th I've started to notice it in other areas of life. It just It's just so interesting to just observe your own actions and just see what you do in certain scenarios. Because as soon as you can realize what you do, if you behave in that way, there's a good chance people who are like you behave in the same way. And there's a good chance that if you're creating something, the people who follow you and like that are similar to you as well. So if it's catching your attention, it's going to catch someone else's attention. And bringing it back to the gallery, it's like now I tweaked my color grade based on these things that I got inspiration from in the gap, like whilst walking around these different colors I'd seen and made a really subtle change. Like some people wouldn't even notice, but I notice and it was instantly, I was like, I'm so much more pleased with these images now than I was before. And it was just the slightest little thing. And I think that's where a style develops from. It's 
by having those little changes constantly over years, that's where stuff that's really unique starts to happen when you do start to bring in so many different aspects of different places and then just add it to what you've got currently because you're never going to like forget the inspiration that you've had. It might not be there in the forefront of your mind, but it's going to kind of really kind of build upon you and who you are and what your creativity looks like. Yeah, I mean, inspiration can come from anywhere and and like a great example of that is is just do it, the Nike slogan which was uh, uh invented by someone in advertising who Yeah. I think it was from them quoting a serial killer who was about to be killed who said just do it. Yeah. And then that that becomes it's like really morbid, really dark, but like that spawned like one of the most popular phrases like it's such a perfect tagline like three words that just that just tell you everything you need to know about that brand what an unlikely place for for that to come from and it, it makes me think of of my neon stuff like when I first started making my neon paintings I was inspired by a photograph that had been taken using a red light and just something inside me because normally I would paint that in red shades but yeah. I was like I wonder if I can use this fluorescent paint and get the same effect. And that and that obviously sent me down a whole spiral. But had I not seen that photo, then who knows yeah. where I'd be. It's so cliche, but it's like, get out of your comfort zone. Like, don't do the thing that you do every time when you go to do something. I think when you approach a situation, just stop and say, like, is there another way to do this? Like, yes, I've been doing this way for years and it's working really, really well. But is there something else I can try to get the same effect? Well, that's that's the other that's the other mad thing is is that I I first painted my first neon piece in 2018, but yeah. because it was so far out of my comfort zone and because fluorescent paint is really difficult to use, I then didn't really get into it till the beginning of this year when I actually started like really pushing it and I sat on that for for like a year and a half of not actually really putting any work into um, for progressing it and, and moving it forward. There is so much to be said for just once you found something that works quite well, just go for it because someone could have walked past that, seen it and thought that looks good and then made that their style and made it popular before you even got the chance to. And this has probably happened so many times with so many different people where you could have missed out there. But had you have started literally the week after you painted that initial piece, you wouldn't have risked that that being taken away from you. Yeah, I think it's something that so many people do worry about is I don't want to post my work online in case someone else steals it. Yeah. And that you do always run the risk. But it's like, now I know no one's going to steal neon from me because I've done, I've got enough of a body of work that people would be like, well, you obviously took that from this guy. So, um, so yeah, when you do find something that, that works, don't do what I did and sit on it for two years. Like, yeah, do jump on it and, and explore it and see where it takes you. On that note, I remember talking to a couple of guys when we did a university talk and they were really, really concerned about copyright, copywriting their art and like, they were so, so precious about these things that they designed in uni and they were too scared to put them online because they thought that someone else might copy them. So I think with that, I think I said, well, you've just got not to worry because people will copy everything anyway, um, but you've just got to be able to own it. You need to go out there and make it your thing, make it known. So anyone who comes along and does try to copy that, it's so evident that they've copied you. Because if you put one thing out there and no one else has ever really seen it someone spots it like online or somewhere and like oh that's a good idea nicks it ma then makes it their whole thing they look like the people who created it 
And I think this goes back to like an example with like Uber. Like they weren't the first company to make a taxi kind of service on an app. There was loads doing it beforehand, but they were the first ones to do it well and really, really run with it. And then now mm. they're the biggest people. Anyone who comes along would people basically say it's like Uber, but it does this instead. And the fact that they have to say it's like Uber every time shows how well they've gone and done it. I think whatever your idea is, by by posting it, it then forces you into this this sort of route of like of trying of refining and really kind of find like finding your style finding your place is definitely something when you look at James Lewis's work that we're who we're about to interview it's definitely something that's happened for him is he's gone down this journey he first started doing lettering and then that's kind of gradually evolved as he's but that that comes through posting and, and looking at your last video or your last post and and seeing like how can I tweak that how can I change that how can I improve on it using your analytics, working out like, are people seem to be really responding to this. Sometimes you'll put something into your work and your your work being like, put it into a poem, you put it into a piece whatever of- Whatever it is um, you're doing, yeah. Yeah, whatever it is you're doing. You put it into a poem, you put it into like a workout that you're doing. There's just some little thing and you don't really think much about it. And then all of a sudden in your comments, you'll see everyone's picking up, up on this little thing that you would just kind of had as a throwaway. And that that's real time feedback from people going, there's something here, like we're interested in this. Like here's like, show me more of this. And then that will allow you to like move down that path. Always be listening to what all that feedback that you're getting, because that can help you um, choose the path that you're going to go down. Yeah. And I think on that note as well, like listening to yourself, like what do you enjoy doing? It's like, you might find you try a new thing and you don't enjoy it. You might find you try a new thing. And you're like, actually, that was really fun. I haven't had fun like that doing this craft for so long. And I think that's another thing to jump on as well. As soon as you can see, like, I'm loving this, I'm really enjoying it, as well as the positive feedback that's coming externally, it's that positive internal feedback of like, yeah, this is really working. Yeah, so I I just want to let everyone know that, that this episode is a really important one because since, I, I mean, a lot of you guys already know how much my personal Instagram has grown recently. And... <laughs> I have to tell you that like a lot of that is down to doing this interview with James Lewis a couple of weeks ago, working out what's working for him and seeing how I can do my own version of that. And that's exactly what I've done. And like, it's been really successful. So I do urge you to, to listen to what James says and implement some of the stuff that he's talking about, because it's really powerful stuff. Yes, it's super powerful. And there's a few little nuggets within this episode that are like our absolute takeaways that you should write down. So like definitely listen along to this one because there's some absolute gems in here. So let's get into this week's episode. Yes, James Lewis is an artist and a content creator. James's hand-painted artwork is very satisfying to watch, so much so that he now has over 1 million Instagram followers. James first started painting lettering, but as both his style evolved and his video presentation improved, his career took off. In this episode, we talk about guessing good, getting followers and getting started. And it's a difficult thing. I think the only way that you'll really know is by doing it. And it's going to be unique to every creator because everyone's creating hopefully something that's a little bit different. So yeah, obviously, until you actually get out there and start, which is obviously the most terrifying thing to do, like you're never really going to know uh, for your own self, like what's the best way, what's the best thing to do. Hi, James. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. So James, did you always want to be an artist? 
there, there was always a part of me that was creative, but necessarily not an artist. So when I was in school, I was very much academic and I didn't really feel like I wanted to do something creative. And then I sort of, it's weird sort of how I got into doing creative things because I was quite into video games and there was like a budding community growing around this when I was around like 14, 15, uh, with people sharing their content on YouTube. And then off the back of that, these people were like, unbeknownst to them, they were building a brand around what they were doing uh, with like YouTube backgrounds, logos and things. And I thought that aspect of it was really cool. So I was like, oh wait, I could try and like create some cool logo backgrounds for some of these like Call of Duty players. Um, and then just off the back of that, I like started experimenting with Photoshop and I really just dove into it to the point where I was like creating the graphic design side of thing way more than I was doing uh, the playing video games. And I always felt like that was something that was a bit more like productive. How do you mean productive? Productive in the sense that um, I was creating something rather than consuming something. Yeah. So obviously with the, I'd create the YouTube backgrounds. Um, I'd probably make like five pounds, five dollars off that, which was amazing at the time. Um, and then I'd also I'd be like creating content around that. So I would sort of just do really basic screen recording of me in Photoshop creating this thing. Uh, I put it out on YouTube and it would get like 20 views. And I was like, yes, that's great. <laughs> At the time, it was like other YouTubers. So it was like basically just a, a growing community of um, Call of Duty players and other video game players. Um, there was like chat groups. Uh, I, can't remember. I think it was mostly Skype at the time. So there's just huge like Skype groups of like hundreds of players who are all like within the same community doing similar things. And uh, just everyone was like, oh, I need a background. Who can do it? It's like, I'll do it. It's so funny. We, we always talk about finding your finding your thing and trying a bunch of different stuff and, and seeing where it takes you. And it's always interesting when you see someone who it's like you're interested in video games, but you, you've obviously tried playing them and realized, okay, in order to be an elite video game player, I've got to put in 30 hours a day. <laughs> and and like, so so you saw like your other edge of being kind of recognized and a, and a part of that community. And then that grows, evolves and becomes something completely different to obviously where you are today. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if, if I didn't start doing this sort of creative thing on the side, just as a bit of fun whilst I was playing video games, I probably wouldn't have then taken that further into like studying graphic design at university and really just pushing that outwards. I probably would still just be trying to become a famous video game player, which like in today's age, I mean, probably a, not a bad business move, you know, there's some of them are doing extremely well. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, all of that again is, is putting time into something to become really good at it. And then the rewards come down the road. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, that, that's been the case with pretty much everything I do. You've got to like, I don't know, dredge through all the tough stuff. For example, with like graphic design, it's like understanding just the fundamentals and the basics to the point where you can create something that doesn't look terrible. Like you push through that for like six months and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm finally getting the hang of it. And it just, yeah, it gets better. And like you said, you start seeing results. What's your advice to someone who's getting started now in some kind of like visual arts? And when there is that taste gap of like, the things that I like are so much further away than what I can actually produce and that frustration that happens there. I wish there was some like golden like nugget of information, but there's nothing more important than practice really. 
for, for me, I practice pretty much every day. I'm lucky enough that I've turned this sort of like art, what was an artistic hobby into like a full-time job. So I can create art every single day. I paint pretty much every day. Um, and then that practice just continues to um, just compound basically. So practice as much as you can. And then I guess diversify your um, interests and who you're inspired by. And by doing, by doing that and looking at like say five different artists rather than one, you're going to be a lot less hung up on the fact that your art isn't as good as that one person's. Cause you can be like, Oh, well, I'll take this element from this person. I'll try this style from this artist from, you know, this great pop artist from the past and try and fuse those elements. So when you're creating something that's like kind of a new, you're less likely to sort of compare yourself to this like, you know, grandiose work of art that everyone adores. I suppose that stops you becoming a carbon copy of someone else as well. Like if you can take a real mix of different inspirations, then you almost become your own person from the different elements that you've used together there. Well, yeah, without a doubt. I think, and, that, and that's like an ongoing journey as well. I've, I've noticed whenever I've finally felt like, oh, I've, I've got something here that's maybe a little bit unique. We, what I've found is that like slowly, naturally, especially with social media, people will start doing something similar. Yeah. Uh, so you have to then continue to evolve, continue to try different things. Yeah, I was talking to someone recently and they said that their kind of perceptual, their kind of view on that is to give away all of your secrets, to give away all of your best work all of the time, because then that drives you forward. Yeah, without a doubt. It feels counterintuitive at first, like, because you see, obviously, these people who are, and no knocking anyone who has like an online course, because there's probably, a, there's a lot of huge value in some of these courses. But like, it does seem like everyone has an online course these days. So you see some of these courses that are like hundreds of dollars, and they're probably giving away information that you could quite easily give away for free. So if it definitely feels initially like, oh, I, I could probably be like earning a bit of passive income if I just teach this through this course. But then, yeah, like you said, if you give it away, <clears throat> give it away for free via social media. Lately, I've been doing um, a lot of like educational content on TikTok and sharing that on Instagram as well. And it's just like sharing bite-sized information and bite-sized tips. Um, but then like I have about 10 of those videos that could have easily been like a full online course, but by giving them away, I'm noticing like huge engagement. People are obviously saving these videos, sharing them, rewatching them because they're learning from them. And, uh, yeah, like it's, it's obviously improved, uh, my brand reach just off the back of those, um, educational pieces of content. And out of interest, how much do you reckon you've spent on courses? to learn what you can do? Uh, definitely close to about a grand, probably a little bit more. Obviously, that's not including my university course, which was, um, I begin to yeah. even think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of money, basically. I've spent a lot of money on courses. And would and have you found them useful? There's a certain type of course that um, I, I enjoy. And it's the same course that I would, I was traveling and teaching the prior to obviously COVID and everything. And that was like very much skill based course. I liked going into it, not knowing how to do a certain skill. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd learn for like eight hours or so. At the end, I understand that I can replicate and experiment with that skill. I found that do, uh, structuring a course around that was very much valuable to me because I felt at the end, like I've achieved something. There's, there's a lot of courses out there that are a lot more, um, I guess, trying to put you in the mindset of how to be creative. And 
it, it's, it's definitely easy to feel at the end of it, like, okay, this person's just waffled at me for about four hours and I've not really learned too much. And how do you spot when there's a good course and a bad course? It's, it's tough because you, you never really know. Like it could, could be someone super reputable, reputable and yeah, you get their course and you're like, ah, this isn't what I had hoped for. Personally, I have like an online course on Domestica, um, which is like Skillshare. Um, but instead of paying for like the monthly fee, you pay per course. And it's just very much a reduced price. It's really, really fair. I think it's like $15 for a full like 10 hour course. And it's all like movie production. I went to their studio in Madrid and it, it was insane. And when I found all of their courses, uh, well, the vast majority of their courses are skill based. So if you're like me and you like, um, like learning by hand and, you know, building up a skill base, I think that that's a good place to start. When you were at university and you're studying graphic design, I'm guessing they were probably mostly pushing you down the digital route. Where did hand painting come in for you? Yeah, definitely. So I, I kind of struggled at university based on the idea that, yeah, like you said, they really wanted me to do digital stuff and they were really big on, um, I guess just building out a load of different skills, even if I felt like some of them were like unnecessary. Like I remember in first year of uni, they were still teaching us Dreamweaver. I was like, no one, no one's going to use that. <laughs> I was like, That's, this is useless, but obviously, you know, you have to do it. So I definitely struggled in uni and I found that over like um, the time I was in uni, I had to um, split basically university work and then um, the hand lettering, the painting and the freelance stuff that I actually wanted to do. And going into it, I was obviously hoping that the graphic design course would sort of facilitate that and help like bolster it. But yeah, I definitely noticed that I had to like put a divide between the two. It really worries me that, I mean, obviously you you were smart and you did that off of your own back and you realized that because... I, I'm guessing they would probably advise against it because they would go, oh, that's that's a, a skill from the past. Like no one paints with their hands anymore. Like you need exactly. to learn how to use Procreate. Um, and it really worries me that, yeah, teaching Dreamweaver, I mean, I, I know you've spoken at universities, Adam and I have, have spoken a lot of unis around the country. And it does worry me that in a lot of places, especially when I look at the amount of money that you're paying to be there, for that cash, I want the most modern, up-to-date things being taught to me, not like, oh, you really need to start a blog. And it's like, maybe maybe you can start a blog. Maybe that might be useful to you. But yeah. I, I mean, you're, if we look at your career, you've embraced modern technologies to a ridiculous degree. That, and I'm guessing none of that was taught to you while you were at school. You're exactly right. First year, we, we were asked to do a blog as well. Um, my friends, he was in like media production. They were like, yeah, do a blog. I'm like, blogs were great like five, 10 years ago when people read blogs. And now it's Instagram, you know, it's YouTube. And you're right, it's, it's, it's not getting taught. And one of the, the main gripes I had with uh, the course that I was on was there was almost no focus on building out um, your own sort of freelance career. It was a lot more focused towards, all right, learn all of these skills, become jack of all trades. Uh, and then if you're lucky, you'll get hired by X design company or X like advertising agency. And I thought for, for me, I felt like that was definitely not the right approach. I think the, a better approach would have been obviously let, letting people build up a, a base, a skill base in like the first year or so, but then allowing them to sort of individuate 
and then helping them along that journey. I know that would obviously be a challenge if you, you know, you got a course of like 60 to 100 people. But I think there needs to be a better, well, just speaking on my experience, a better sort of framework on how to help artists basically learn what they want to do and then facilitate that. Because what, what I noticed in university, I think I noticed quite early on, and obviously I was really lucky that it panned out the way I sort of predicted, was that people, yes, you can get a jack of all trades, but people, if you're like, you know, a big company and you're looking for this specific thing, you're always going to quickly jump to Instagram. You're going to quickly jump over to YouTube. You're going to look for the person who's doing that the coolest. Maybe they've got the most following or they're just the loudest at what they're doing. Um, or they're making the coolest, like, I don't know, really unique car illustrations. And you're like, oh, we want that, you know, because it's in front of them already rather than this sort of old style, like, you know, you have a website, you have, you go to business meetings, you go to like lunches, you give out your business cards, people go to your website. Like it just, it just doesn't really happen like that anymore. I suppose, yeah, there's a difference between probably if someone's looking to hire someone, say if you're a small team and you're looking to hire someone, then you probably want someone who's got a bit of a diverse like skill set because you're like, well, they could be doing different things every day. But then as soon as it comes to wanting someone who's freelance or a specialist in something, you're never going to pick someone who's just average at everything. It's almost like if you're looking around, well, that person's best at that, I'm going to get them for this. That person's the best at that. And it's like you want the best result at the end of the day. So why wouldn't you go for the people who are the best at what they do? Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think even like as as a business, like once once you've got that good foundation, you have like say three employees who are all jack of all trades. Well, now you want someone who does something that none of you guys can do. And to have that like skill set that's something completely unique, again, you have to like individuate and find your own sort of way, find your own creative path. And then you're probably like more likely to even if you're looking to get hired, get hired at like um I guess a more established business who are looking for something more unique. I suppose as well, if you want your business or like to to have its own kind of creative voice or creative like identity, you need someone who stands out a bit to be able to push that to make you differ from other people. Whereas if everyone's just like average at everything, then no one's going to really look at your business and think, oh, well, they really excel in this thing, unless they've got like a really strong creative director who's basically just forcing their design kind of visuals to everyone else yeah and i think what i noticed in graphic design sort of when i left university was that like at the well at at the time it was definitely like a race towards the bottom with regards to pricing it was like all right well unless you were working with a very established company who like needed someone um specific for the job it was like all right well i have this startup uh, I'm going to reach out to 50 people really quick, simple emails. Now I'm going to put their name and the title, just copy yeah. and paste an email. Uh, the person who gets back to me with maybe not the cheapest, but like the lowest, but they look all right, you know? And then they'll just sort of like hold your hand through the whole process and be like, all right, look, I drew, I drew this. It's really crude, but I want you to turn this into a logo and just copy what I do because obviously it's my business. I know it's best. I've drawn this picture of a pigeon, turn it into a logo. Here's 50 quid. (laughs) What? (laughs) And it's clear with your career that you've gone the opposite route of that because when you're employed, you're employed for for your work. They They want James Lewis. 
have you got i mean i know it's it's that's built off the back of years of carving a career but like what's your advice for people to get to that stage where they're able to be employed for their own style rather to, than to recreate someone else's dream or yeah. napkin sketch <laughs> well it's, it's something i've been working on for quite literally the past two three years since leaving university when i left i was doing uh, all my work was entirely for other people so it was entirely graphic design clients mostly logo design. I was still obviously doing lettering on the side of university. So I was trying my best to um, bring that into the graphic design space, doing like hand lettering logos. So that was the first way I found to, I guess, combine like the graphic design stuff that I learned and the lettering that I was more interested in. So with that, I was like building up my brand off the back of this, um, these lettering logos, posting those on social media. And then I'd get people reaching out like, oh, I saw this lettering logo. It looks great. I want that too. And I was like, okay, cool. And I sort of like projected that into the future. And I was like, right, if I just keep doing these lettering logos, uh, that's pretty much all I'm going to attract. So then I was like, right, well, what do I actually want to do? How can I create, um, I guess, create a business around things that I'm actually interested in making? So then I decided that, okay, well, once a week then, when I'm not working on, say, these logo design projects, I'll come up with my own concept for something that I would want to make. So at the time, I was like, oh, I really want to do like a packaging design project, like a really big illustrative decorative one. So I remember like I would do the graphic design project like for the first half of the day and then I'd work on this other project and I'd find it get to like 5 p.m. and I'd be like, oh, I still want to carry on. So I'd be working on this one, like this fun project for myself up until like 9 p.m. doing like really ornate lettering. Um, and then when I posted that project, like on Instagram, people were like, oh, this is really cool. because it's, it's something unique. It's something that I was actually interested in um, and it's something that I could then move forward with. So that reaffirmed to me that, okay, well, if I create something that I'm actually interested in, it'll be more well received. So then I started to like divide up my time between um, creating for myself and then creating for clients. Um, sometimes they overlapped and sometimes they didn't. So it was just a case of continuing to create what I was interested in to the point where um, I guess I was painting some 3D letters and unique things like that. And people were like, oh, I want to buy that and frame it. And I was like, oh, okay. Because that is so divorced from the graphic design stuff where it's like a logo or some graphic design. Uh, people were like, oh, I really want to like buy that and frame it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now I'm... Now I have like a James Lewis product, like an art piece, and I can start working for myself more rather than working for other people. So then instead of, uh, say, like 50-50 logo design, my own stuff, I slowly started to, once it became like profitable, I'd move more and more away from the graphic design, away from the logo stuff, just to creating uh, my own content and things that I'm interested in. I think that's a really sensible move because it's not like you just took a massive leap and just thought fuck all that work I'm actually just going to go and do whatever I want to do it sounds like it was a really like gradual slowly thing moving things over slowly building things up because I feel like a lot of people want that instant like just boom I want to go and do my thing but realizing that actually it's quite a process like what kind of length of time do you reckon it was before you actually stopped doing the kind of more client work I still do client work but the client work has changed so the client work I yeah so I stopped doing graphic design stuff around a year ago. So it was around a two-year period where I was transitioning from 
fully uh, graphic design projects uh, to more art project and um, I guess like social media stuff. So the client works that I do these days is more so creating content rather than creating like logo designs and things. So it's still content, uh, it's still client work, but it's client work where I'm basically painting stuff that I actually want to create. Uh, and then they use the video content that's around that. And what, I, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question already, but what percentage of your work comes in via social media? Like 99. It's, it's very, yeah, it's very rare that um, someone reaches out and they don't like either know who I am or have seen my videos. And I think it, it puts me in such a, like an, an advantage just having so many people know like my content because they know who I am. They know what I can do. They already know the tone of voice. They pretty much know exactly what they're going to get before they get it. And it just, just instills like into these like clients that I work with such a confidence that they can work with me because they know that I'll be able to deliver. Cause it's like, there's just a thousand posts, literally over a thousand posts on my Instagram of me just doing that for the past six years now. Yeah. And when it comes to Instagram, obviously it started as a photo sharing app, but when I go to your feed, it's 90% uh, video based. Why video? I'm always trying to figure out what the the best way to share my content is. Like the, the content itself, like I want to paint. Uh, I want to paint different things. You can see it's like Homer Simpson behind me. Um, I'll paint like some pop art things. I want to be able to be free with what I can create, but I want to frame it like in the best way possible so that it gets out to the most people. I noticed, I think it was around a year ago that there was a huge shift on Instagram where engagement on video was like 10x what I was getting for images. So I was doing three posts, scheduled three posts a week. Um, I used to do two images, one video, uh, and then slowly I scaled that back to two videos, one image. Uh, and now I try and do, uh, I usually do three videos a week. Uh, just, and as a result of that, you just see, uh, the results just, again, it accumulates and just keeps building off the back of them. Now with, um, reels that's just come out, you can see like the best way to check, like what's doing well, you just jump on the explore page and whatever takes up that most space that, um, that's probably how you want to be framing your content right now. Reels takes up, I think it's like 80% of that explore page. I've noticed my videos, they don't say I was getting like, um, 10% of my views on the video were people who didn't know who I was. They were like from the explore page. Now that's gone down to like 5% because the explore page is just all reels. So, you know, it's in a way it's kind of clever from Instagram because they're subtly implying that, Hey, use reels if you still want to reach people. So I'm going to start, obviously I'm lucky again in the sense that I've been creating for TikTok now for the past year. So I'm just going to be reusing, um, well, just using that editing style that I've been using on TikTok and just sharing that on Instagram now as well. And what would you say makes a good short video? It changes. So when TikTok first came out, I think it was very much fast-paced editing. In like 15 seconds, you want about, I don't know, 30 shots maybe. Just really fast-paced, high energy. Um, I like to obviously synchronize the music to the as, as I'm brushing try and get everything synced up. So like every second counts, everything's like super satisfying. What I'm noticing now is that on TikTok, obviously it's different with Instagram because it's forced 15 seconds. 
on TikTok, the longer videos are doing a little bit better now. It's still like kind of fast paced and um, like good editing music and like high energy, but it's, it's a lot more narrative as well. There's a lot more voiceover videos I see that are doing well. It's a lot less quick 15 second videos, but more like, oh, hey, my name's James. I'm going to take you on this journey. This is how I did this. This is how I did this. <clears throat> and I see that as like, um, I see the platform becoming more as like a storytelling medium, which I think is really cool because I guess that's what Instagram used to be when it started, but it was just with photos. And now they're doing it for you, for you like video and audio as well. So how much of your time then is spent on kind of crunching crunching numbers? I, do, you, do you look at analytics a lot and, and do you kind of like A-B test in a way of like trying a video and seeing how well it performs? I wouldn't say I focus too much like time and energy on it. I think once you sort of understand, like I said, the, the golden nugget there is just look at the explore page on Instagram, see what is taking up the most space on your explore page. Usually it's either video, well, it has been video for a while. Now it's reels. So once you sort of understand the direction and the way that these platforms, um, basically what they want from you. So obviously it's on YouTube, for example, it's like, um, good click through rate and watch as much duration as possible. Once you sort of understand that you, you sort of frame your content around that. And then, yeah, you do a little test here and there. Like, Oh, if I, um, do a voiceover, does that have an impact? Um, if I edit the video this way, does it have an impact? And you just try lots of different things, but I wouldn't say it's like something I focus a lot of time on. The majority of my time goes into just painting, video editing, um, and then engaging with uh, like fans and followers. How do you keep consistent? I'm, I'm a big planner. So I basically write in my notes every single day, the night before, everything I want to get done the next day. Uh, I usually write too much, like on purpose. I'll write more than I can actually do so that I feel like I'm always a little bit behind and I need to sort of catch up. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily helpful uh, or healthy, more like. But it's definitely helpful in the sense that it keeps me motivated to keep going because I know there's more to do. I think if I had maybe two or three tasks to do for the entire like nine hour workday, um, I'd, I'd prolong those tasks yeah. because I know that I had that allocated time to do them. But if I have too many things to do, like one too many, I'm like, okay, well, let's do this, do this, do this. And then if I can get to the point where like I've done them all, I'm like, it's a really good feeling. That's really interesting. I mean, sometimes on this show, I, I, I do worry a little bit that I'm I'm a bit too much like work, like just fucking hustle, just like go for it. Um, yeah. And be, because we, like, we've spoken about it before, but, but like there's the whole hustle porn culture that everyone talks about and, mm. and feeling all of this pressure. And I, I, my kind of feeling on it is like, if you don't put the work in, you won't achieve it. And and it seems like the backlash to hustle porn is almost like this excuse for people to say, oh yeah, I, for my mental health, I'm, I don't need to work that hard because otherwise it's going to be too much pressure. And I, I actually love that you put that, like you're absolutely crushing it, but you're still putting pressure on yourself of like, yeah, they're, they're, I'm never going to be able to achieve enough. There's always more on the list that needs to be done because that keeps pushing you forward. And without that, that push forward, what like, like you'll slow down and you'll stop. I think that's a really good perspective on it. I think you summed it up really well. De there's definitely, like you said, that hustle porn idea and the opposite side of that. And, and it's kind of dangerous in the sense that people 
can accredit their, they, well, they try to accredit their success to like watching these gurus and learning from them. But I think you need to figure out sort of what's best for you as an individual. I work very well under pressure. I noticed that like if I'm painting and I'm doing a live stream, I know there's like a hundred people watching me whilst I'm paint. I'm like so much more precise because I, <laughs> I feel that sort of like that extra pressure and it helps. I know there's obviously a lot of people who don't necessarily work well under pressure. So for those people, maybe find a different way to work. But yeah, a hundred percent, you need to put the work in because I feel so lucky to be at the point where I am. And I know that there's tens of thousands of people who would love to be able to create what they want to do every day. And we're lucky because Instagram has definitely like democratized the, the playing field in the sense that it, it's not just one person who can be successful. Loads of people can be successful. But then there is also this sense that, you know, when, when I don't post for a few weeks, someone else will be popping off. Someone else's work will be really doing well. And I'll see that. And then obviously my engagement goes down and then that doesn't feel great. So there's, yeah, there's always that pressure. And I think internalizing that pressure and putting it on myself is kind of smart in the sense that I'm not um, being, I'm not letting other things give me pressure that I can't, I guess, control. It's all like controlled pressure that I'm sort of imparting on myself. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And and I feel like it's it's inspiring to look at you because you've you've built this off of the back of consistently producing three videos a week. And whilst that is a lot, at the same time is also not loads and it is doable. And I, I do feel like most people could produce three videos, like four, three pieces of content a week if they really, really put their mind to it. Without a doubt, yeah, it's, it's a mindset thing. Once that becomes your top priority, like that, you're going to do it. Because if you get to the end of the week and you've done one, you've done two, it's, it's demotivating. You're like, oh, I've kind of failed this week. Like, for example, it was my 25th, um, the the week before last and I was off for like a full week. So I only had like two posts to put out. And it, even though like, obviously I was taking a bit of time <laughs> off, I still felt a bit like, ah, it's not three posts. And uh, obviously the engagement rates and the views all reflect that. So yeah, the, I think consistency, whenever I'm asked like, what's the one thing that you'd recommend for like growing, it's a hundred percent consistency. And what would you say in terms of like the picking what you're going to paint based on the time it's going to take you because for example if, if you're an oil painter it's going to take you two weeks to do a single painting how have you kind of balanced that so you can keep putting out consistent content i was thinking about this yesterday actually when i was painting this guy behind me so like looking at it it's very simple it's flat colors um the outlining is quite like it's, it's not like stupid precise it's achievable but just a painting like that will take me around six seven hours of straight painting and I can, I can sit down, I can do that in a day and I feel at the end of it, like I've achieved something and it's a great feeling. Now, I, yeah, like you said, there's people out there, there's artists who are doing like 20, 50 hour projects, single pieces. And I think when you're doing something like that, you just need to frame your content in a way that I guess reflects the pace that you're working. So if I was spending like, like you said, like 50 hours on a project, um, maybe it's a super detailed ballpoint drawing, right? I would draw maybe for the first 10 hours and then I'd post a video showing that process and then I'd post the next 10 hours and the next. And then by that, you know, you're building a narrative, you're showing people the process, it's a lot slower, 
But just by doing that, you're going to get people coming back because they want to see the end product. So I think it's trying to find a way how to frame uh, what you're doing in a way that, um, I guess, works. That people, you're just engaging people, you're getting their interest, and then you're hopefully getting them to come back and check up on your account like in the future. How much video production did you need to learn? Because I think that's one thing that probably stands in a lot of people's way is they're like, oh, I'm, I'm good at doing what I do, but I don't know how to document it via video. Um, I, I, so I was doing video stuff back when I was like 14, just for fun when I was doing this YouTube stuff. So it, it was something that I just like sort of picked up as I was going quite naturally. But the, the great thing about video production is there's just so much content on YouTube. You could quite literally learn the, the entirety of it just via YouTube videos. Um, in terms of video production, everything I know is from YouTube. It's from experimenting. It's from just um, figuring out what works for me and what doesn't. And then, like I said, when, when you're consistent, you, you improve every single time. So, you know, I look back at videos that I did a year ago and when I was doing them, I was like, oh, this is such a great video. And now I'm like, oh, that bit's not great. Maybe the lighting could have been a lot better. Color correction's not the best. So like you just pick up these things as you go. And how do you deal with like, for example, like now your videos are really great. Back in the day when your videos wouldn't have been as good as other people's, how did that make you feel did, like putting, in, putting them out and like having the confidence to be like, I know this isn't as good as other people's, but I'm still going to do it anyway. For, for me, I try to focus a lot on like improvement. So it, instead of sort of looking at my content and then other people's content and be like, okay, well, this is mine. This is someone else's. Here's the difference between them. I'm like, all right, well, here's this week's piece of content. Here's a piece of content from last month. How have I improved and how can I continue to improve? And again, it's, it's about sort of uh, taking control of that extra pressure and not have it be, being external. And yeah, I think when you compare yourself to other people, it's, it's, it's a downward slope because you, there's always going to be someone better than you. Like there's people who are, who are out there, they're way more precise with their brush strokes. They do cooler. Uh, they have more creative ideas than me. And I'm fine with that as long as like I can continue improving doing what I do um, and keep pushing that, then I think... I guess I, I just have the motivation to keep creating. And yeah. I think that's the key. I think that's a better mindset to have. Instead of like looking at other people and thinking, oh, well, it's not quite as good as theirs. Just look at yourself a month ago. If everyone does that all the time, you're always better than you were a month ago. In so many years, you're going to be really good, really good. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's a hard thing to do because I know when I started to like really get into painting, I was looking a lot on Instagram at painters. And I was like, wow, these people are all insane. They're yeah. so, so good. But then, yeah, you have to like scroll back on their Instagram like a couple of years and you're like, oh, they actually weren't so good maybe a year ago, two years ago. And I still have posts up on my Instagram from like five, six years ago and they're all terrible. But I just put them out there because it was just something fun to do. And I think you're seeing that progression in someone's like creativity and their skill level is definitely inspiring. I think that's one of my favorite things to do when I sort of like fall in love with a creator is is to go back through that feed and because then the, quite often the journey is documented there. I mean, some people do feel bad about it and they go back and delete their old posts because they're like, oh, that's not me anymore. But I do yeah. actually love when you go through and people haven't done that and you can just see like, it, it also makes them feel more achievable for in your own career because you can see that progression. It's documented there. For sure. That's, it's definitely a worry that I have. It's like, <clears throat> like I'm putting out these videos that's very precise 
is obviously well edited to the point where it just looks super easy to do. And I know if you're like a person who's never painted before, uh, you try it out for the first time, it's obviously not going to be that easy. So by, by keeping those older posts there, I hope I can, yeah, like you said, sort of balance that out so that you can see what is achievable, but where I was like five years ago when I was just doing like calligraphy experiments that were really bad. Yeah, because like, if you go into a traditional art gallery, all you have is the, the final product, the pinnacle of that artist's achievement. This is where I am at. This is This is the product. But that's the beautiful thing about Instagram is all of that's documented. And and I totally uh, relate to that because especially when it comes to painting, it's like obviously my full-time job is painting. And so I like to sort of think I'm pretty good at it. There's someone I followed on Instagram who does watercolor paintings. And I thought, well, these look amazing. He does time-lapse videos. Uh, he's incredible. And I really, really wanted to have a go at it. And I sucked so badly. <laughs> and it was such a bruise to my ego of like, I'm a painter. Like I yeah. should be able to do this, but I'm not a watercolor painter. And I fucking sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a weird thing, isn't it? Where people expect, like, as an artist, you could do everything. Like, oh, you could, like, sculpt this character, couldn't yeah. you? And she's like, no. I've drawn letters for the past five years and I've just started drawing characters. So, no, I can't do sculptures and no, I can't do watercolors. But I think, do you still try it? Are you getting better? Um, I think, well, then the pandy hit and uh, kind of all of the, uh, all of our, um, time was just kind of taken up with trying to save our business and stuff like that, like more <laughs> yeah. pressing things than than watercolors. But um, I, I think I'll definitely have a go at it again, just because I like I like the effects, and I wonder that that the more I grow with that, how that might affect my spray painting um, and yeah. techniques that that kind of come through with that that might be able to be transferred um, in a different medium. Because I, I think that's, I learned so much, I tattooed for three years and I learned so much in tattooing that still today I use in spray painting that had I not done that, then I, I wouldn't have known those techniques. So, um, and, and I think you always do have transferable skills in whatever it is that you do. There's always going to be a couple of things from that, yeah. that that will help you in in the other sort of the, the kind of subgenre of whatever it is you do. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Prior, prior to like painting the characters that I'm doing now, I was doing mostly sign painting. I was learning the like craft of sign painting those guys who have been doing it for hundreds of years, they basically set up a painting style that is the most um, cost effective, meaning you use the less, least amount of paint uh, and the fastest. So you're doing, you know, you're doing this like beautiful ornate letter in about six brush strokes. And then once you learn that painting something like a character, you're like, oh, wow, this is achievable. And it's like you can do it in a new and unique way. Like you said, you're sort of transferring those uh, sign painter skills into, into like a different medium and like for, for me it just feels like well I've been painting like this for the, you know for the past few years but people are now seeing it oh it's not just letters it's this character and because they've not necessarily seen someone painting like a sign painterly style of characters it's something kind of new and unique what was it about characters that really like drew you into them before I was painting characters it was very much like bold uh 3d lettering uh, it was like bright colors, very vibrant, catching the eye. And I felt like it was quite um, an easier necessary, like a kind of easy transition to do these flat shapes that were letters to now do these flat shapes that were characters. I think one of the first ones I did, I was painting like the Pringles logo and I was doing like the Pringles mascot guy. And I was like, 
oh, this is actually quite fun and like achievable to do. Yeah. Before that, I was just in my mind, oh, I'm doing lettering, I'm doing type, I've been doing this for the past like five or so years. This is my thing. Uh, and then slowly I was like, ah, I kind of want to try something different. And like cartoons and flat illustrations felt like uh, not a huge jump, a huge departure from what I was doing. Uh, obviously, I was genuinely terrified for doing it. Like I built up an audience of people who were interested. Well, I thought they were interested in lettering. I thought they just followed me because I painted cool letters. I drew cool letters. Uh, and then when I painted um, my first character, like actual character, I think it was uh, it was a Homer Simpson one. Like that video blew up and I was like, oh, wow, okay. I can actually go outside of my comfort zone, try something new. And it, it it's going to have the opposite effect than what I thought it was going to have. I imagined, you know, people unfollowing and just being the end and I had to pretty much start again. But it just sort of um, compounded on, I guess, what I had already learned. And I was able to just continue to push it further. And it's, it's opened doors for me to go even further now as well and maybe try out a few different styles and techniques that I, I haven't tried yet. Yeah, I think that's a really important message because I think a lot of people will, when they know something's working, will just keep doing that and keep doing that and almost be fearful to move away from that. So I think it, yeah, and then, yeah. and also I feel like if by doing that as well, you end up in a hole of, I'm not doing this because I love it anymore. I've kind of been stuck in this thing that I've been doing for years and now I would like to evolve, but I'm too scared to in case everything will drop off. I think it is important to actually be like, hey, I'm going to try new things. I'm going to put out there to see how it works. Because again, as you said, like you never know what the audience, how the audience is going to react to it because they might yeah. actually like it more. Yeah, for sure. But then what do you do if they if they react badly? And if it's something that you, I, I suppose then does it come down to the to the Venn diagram of, of you have to enjoy it, but also there has to be a, a valuable market for it that, that mm. other people are interested in? Yeah, so I, I had a friend of mine, he was doing um, like lettering like me. He did it for about four or five years, posted it on Instagram. Um, he went away from Instagram for about two months. He didn't post for two months. Then when he came back, he only posted like abstract geometric drawings. It was like, it was a big departure from lettering. And naturally, because people hadn't seen his content in two months, um, people were like, okay, what's this new thing on my feed that I haven't followed? It was such a huge departure from what he was doing. Um, there was, there was pretty much no relation. So he was just posting images as well. So it wasn't even like the content was framed in the same way. It was, I saw like, well, he saw a, lot, a big decline. People were not interested. And it's not that the quality of the work he was putting out was worse. It was actually better. Like this, it was a lot more unique, well refined. It was really cool, but there was no like uh, transition period. If, if like you were telling a story, it'd be like, oh, this day he was doing this. And then two months later, he was doing something completely different. Uh, and because people aren't getting that narrative, they aren't seeing that transition. I think it was very difficult for them to sort of like be as interested. Like like what I did when um, I transitioned away from graphic design, when I was just posting graphic design and lettering stuff, it was like a phased approach. Like I still do lettering now, but it's just on like a lesser scale. And like people saw that transition, the, the way that I framed the content, like the video editing style and music was all the same. So it wasn't a huge departure. So I think even if like I did put it out and um, the video didn't do well, I would try and like reiterate and I'd figure out a way that I could um, combine the two things. So maybe it would be like lettering with characters. If people really love the lettering, I'd find a way to combine the two things 
And then maybe six months down the line, I'd try again and just do characters. And I think you touched on something really important there as well, is that your friend didn't have a recognizable production um, aesthetic. So it's like, I know a James Lewis video before you even start painting because the because it, the the setup is the same and i mm. think that's something that is is quite often missed by creatives is the way is the presentation yeah for sure and i think it's it's really important because especially with instagram and tiktok you've got a few seconds to capture someone's attention and if you're delivering good content but everything's always different it's hard for people to like recognize like you said that that's a certain creator but if you can find a way to frame your content in a way that's recognizable then i think just in terms of like getting people like return interest it just has such a huge impact i think that's almost building a brand isn't it it's like if you can build the brand it almost doesn't matter what you do then because people will recognize it and people like and trust the brand it's like if you're a runner and you buy like nike shoes and then you start swimming obviously completely different sports but you'd probably think oh well nike were good so i'm going to trust them on this other thing yeah that's exactly it you're trying to build up it's all like yeah it comes down to trust at the end of the day like we only have a finite amount of uh, energy and attention and for for someone to give that attention to one of my videos they want to trust that it's going to be entertaining so by consistently posting content in like it's framed in a similar way they're more likely to trust that this 50 second video is going to be entertaining opposed to something they've never really seen before so what do you do in the beginning when no one is really uh paying attention there's there's so much noise out there how do people start to stand out so my my good friend of mine he's recently started doing uh call of duty videos on tiktok and he faced this exact challenge where he was posting videos he was really consistent obviously i helped him and guided him on like be consistent do this do this but he wasn't really getting like any growth necessarily. TikTok is great right now because you'll, you'll definitely get some views. Even if you have like, you know, 10 followers, you'll still get maybe like a hundred views. Like it, it does such a great job at getting your content out there. And what he found was that he would look at other creators, put workouts similar to theirs, uh, not get great returns. And then slowly he started to like create content that, that was a bit more unique. And I think just when you start doing that, um, people, I guess, they're more likely to stop because it's something different. Uh, and then what he's been doing that's really good is he's trying to engage with the community as much as possible. So he'll spend a lot of his time reaching out to creators who are at a similar space to him. So they're like, you know, emerging on TikTok. He has something like 10,000 followers now, which is amazing. Um, so he's reaching out to people who are on a similar level to him. He's trying to collab. He's trying to get them like engaged with his content. He'll engage with theirs. So I think early on, you really do need to uh, at, like apply some time to, I guess, trying to garner attention whilst also creating the work. Hopefully the end product is that the, the work itself will just garner the attention, the content itself. But I think in those early days, you need to find a way to, um, I guess, get the ball rolling. And the way he did that was just by reaching out to a lot of different people who were doing a similar thing. And trying to like build up a community. I think the attention thing is really interesting because I think a lot of people when they're first getting started will spend so much time trying to get attention when actually their work isn't good enough. And I feel like you still have to put the work in, you still have to get good. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's just about engaging with people. If I engage with a thousand people every day, I'm going to grow a huge following. But if your work isn't good when people get there to see it, it's not entertaining, it's not doing that right thing, then it's not going to have the result you want. 
Yeah, you're so right. You you do need to find that sort of balance between um, reaching out to people and then obviously working and like putting time into improving. And it's a difficult thing. I think the only way that you'll really know is by doing it. And it's going to be unique to every creator because everyone's creating hopefully something that's a little bit different. So yeah, obviously, until you actually get out there and start, which is obviously the most terrifying thing to do, like you're never really going to know uh, for your own self, like what's the best way, what's the best thing to do. And I, I think for a lot of people listening, it's, it's, I know the, the thing will be like, well, just tell me how to get fucking followers. Because uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I know yeah. that it's like, but there's no, there's no simple like pill that you can take that is going to, that's going to shoot that. But I think the main thing that you mentioned there that is so important that people do overlook is that collaboration. And like, as you said, finding people who are at the same level as you is such a key thing to do. Like, don't shoot for the 500,000s, the 1 millions. Like, they're probably, their DMs are probably quite busy. There's a good chance they're not going to get back to you. I mean, maybe they will. Um, if you've got something that, that really brings them value that it is incredible that they've never seen before, then maybe yes. But an easier shot and then probably a better return, a better ROI on your time is to reach out to that. If you're at 5K, to reach out to that other 5K person that's within your space and go, let's work on a project together or collaborate in some way. Definitely. I think because they're, they're exactly on the same wavelength as you. They're early on in their journey. They're, you know, trying to find their way. And if you two can work together, you're, you're going to make a friend, you know? Yeah. You've got something partner with you. You're on the same wavelength. You're doing similar things. And then as a result, uh, yeah, you're hopefully going to create a bit of content. Maybe it doesn't, maybe that content does terribly. But then that person who you've worked with, I can promise you that person is going to be interested in your content from there on out. Um, I saw you kind of uh, light up when you were talking about helping your friend with uh, with his videos. Is teaching people something that's like kind of important that you really enjoy? 100%. Yeah. I mean, prior to the pandemic, I was traveling a lot. I was teaching uh, hands-on like 3D lettering workshops. And those are like really intensive uh, six-hour workshops. We sit down. There's diff people from all different ages, people like high level creative directors sat next to like 15 year olds who just want to draw letters. And it's just a cool mix of people and everyone sits around and we have a good time, drink some coffee, draw some letters. And I just really enjoy that environment of, I guess, sharing what I know and helping other people on their journey. Obviously with the pandemic, I've been doing a lot more of that um, digitally. So I had like the online course that came out that's doing really well. Uh, and then also just like on a personal basis, like I try, I try my best to reply to like every DM that I get. The majority of them, like they're, they're genuinely just people asking questions. Instagram has a great feature where you can like, um, like save replies. So I have like maybe oh, 10. I did not know that. Yeah. I don't know if it's, um, like if you have to have a business account or something, or I don't know which account it is, but, uh, but yeah, so. I'll have like 10 people a day ask me what brushes I use. So I just literally takes like 10 seconds and I can reply to 10 people. Just send that email, uh, send that message. Same with paints, same with like canvases. Um, and then if there's something more specific that someone wants to learn, um, if it's like um, something that's kind of generic, I can reply to that person, save it in the replies. Next time someone reaches out to me with that same question, I can just like keep helping people. And it means a lot to the people who I reply to um, way more than it means to like, I guess I, I'm not phrasing that the best. It takes very little energy for me to reply to someone, but I think it has a big impact on their morale that someone with a big following is sort of inspiring them and helping them along their journey. Because you're making the biggest impact possible with the least amount of effort. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it helps. When I, when I was first starting out, I was exactly like the person we were talking about, reaching out to like people with a million followers, 500,000 followers, asking the exact same questions that we've been talking about today, like how to grow a following, how to do this, how to do that. And I remember I was trying to grow like a following on Behance. Have you guys checked yeah. out that? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was quite big uh, a couple of years back. I don't know if it's still popping these days, but um, I remember I reached out to uh, just a random person. I was just DMing so many people uh, just with this project that I put out. It was really early on in my graphic design days. And um, one of the, the designers, he literally took the time. He put together like a PDF document. Like, look, this is where, this is why this doesn't work. This is how you could have done this. Maybe you should have tried this. And I was like, wow, this person genuinely spent a good amount of time to tell me that my designs are shit and I need to improve. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Thank you so much. And I think that that motivation early on was it was huge for me because it just yeah it inspired me to continue improving and knowing that people out there who are doing well they're just people at the end of the day like it is achievable. And I think getting back to those people, it does build so much loyalty um, when you when you are building an audience. It's like I, I think half the times that we get a DM on Instagram and we reply to every single one people kind of are surprised and they're like oh i didn't i didn't ever think that you you'd write back and it's like but because we did we know that they're then going to be loyal listeners or loyal followers or whatever it is like whatever projects we might do they're going to be there for us because we were there for them exactly yeah and they're going to show their friends they're going to be like wow look at these awesome people who i listen to their podcast they've replied to me they've taken the time out of their day um so yeah respond and i think yeah, like you said, it has a huge impact on morale and building up a brand because it just, it, um, I, can't, I can't think of the word. It just ripples out. It has that ripple effect. You know, like a small action like replying to a DM is going to ripple outwards to the point where, you know, maybe that person who you responded to his brother shows your content to her cousin and then her cousin owns like, um, uh, I don't know, like a, a chip shop and they need like a huge mural. And then you get a project off the back of it or something like that. Yeah, that's it. You you never know who you're talking to, do you? And you and I think that's that's I, I read something recently that was like the the um the kind of measure of a good person is is how they uh, behave to someone who they 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 don't think they're gonna get anything from. Um, yeah. And I think that's so true because you you do never know who you're speaking to and they might be the the crown prince of bahrain's nephew and and do you know what i mean you never know who you're talking to yeah. so treat everyone with with respect and kindness and the the rewards will come through at the same time you do need to be protective of your time and you can't spend you can't make a pdf for every single person that gets in touch with you um no, exactly. but but i feel like if 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 there's lots of kids out there who are dming everyone eventually they're going to hit the one person that on that day has that time to help them. And if we just all, as as creators and sort of people that are seen as experts in our field, if we just take that time for every now and then for that one that gets in touch to give them whatever we see in them, to give them that special attention and pay it forward, then I think that's how we will kind of like garner this next creative generation. Yeah, I think you summarized that perfectly. I think, yeah, just taking a little bit of time to help someone out goes a long way. I went, I went a bit spiritual and a bit Alex Manzi on that, but, but I do, <laughs> I do believe it. I do think it's true. No, it's good. I believe the exact same thing, man. So to end off, James, what would be your, your main words of wisdom? What is the, the main thing that you see people uh, doing wrong in their social media or in their creative career that you think you can help with? 
I think the, the hardest thing usually is getting started. And I think what a lot of people tend to do is they'll have their like personal Instagram and then they've just shared pictures of their cat and their food for the like forever. And then they post a picture of a drawing and they're like, oh, I didn't get so many likes. I think dedicate a specific like Instagram, a specific handle to your art. Start building up a brand there. Just kind of like obviously share it on your own page, but create something specific. Only share content that you would like to get hired for. Like, you know, if you're creating art, but you're sharing random people's art, like that doesn't necessarily be, it's not really conducive of like building a brand of stuff that you want to do. So create content that you'd like to get hired for. Um, be consistent if possible. Just try to allocate as much time as you can, as much free time, uh, to the point where if you can see it slowly starting to progress, allocate more time and then slowly get to a point where as soon as that's sustainable, you can start maybe like working less hours at work and start applying more hours to this like side hustle to the point where it's a full-time job. But it's always a slow process. Like there's, it's very rare that, you know, overnight success is kind of a myth in the way. And for those people who it is the, it is the actual case, you'll notice that they fall off quite quickly, you know, like big sharp rise, big sharp fall. What you want really is like a very slow and steady growth. Um, and then that'll hopefully continue over time. So, I mean, I guess in summary, just sort of create what you want to create and try and share it in a way that um, is unique and so just do what you enjoy as well. That was a ramble. But. That was absolute gold. Absolute gold, <laughs> mate. Great. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, just check out at James L. Lewis on Instagram. That's probably like the homepage right now. It's where most of the fun stuff happens. Uh, for like business inquiries and things, jameslewis.com. Um, and there's also James L. Lewis uh, at TikTok as well. Legend. Brilliant. Thank you so Thanks much, dude. Thanks so much, dude. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks.